In the second half of 1959, I took a long-distance bus from Xinyang to Lushan and Guxi. Out of the window, I saw one corpse after another in the ditches. On the bus, no one dared to mention the dead. In one country, Guxiang, one third of the people had died. Although there were dead people everywhere, the local leaders enjoyed good meals and fine liqueur. I had seen people who had told the truth being destroyed. Did I dare to write it? Lu Bagvel, a Xinhua reporter. This was the great Chinese panel, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So we start with policy changes. This affected how farming was organized, coincided with droughts and floods. Because of this, grain production took a nosedive in China. In 1959, harvest was down 15% and by 1960 it was down at 70%. Chinese governmental data showed crop production fell from 200 million tonnes to 170 million in 1959, and then down to 143 million in 1960. The mortality toll from this famine is a huge range from 15 million to 55 million deaths. Historian Mobo Gao said those anti-communists would quote the highest numbers and those sympathetic to the Chinese revolution would state lower numbers. So it's very much where you stood. China's official statistics gives China's population of 1961 at about 659 million, which was down 14.5 million from 1958. The mortality in birth and death rates peaked in 1961 and started to recover fast from then. Rumours have spread although no documentation exists of human cannibalism in various forms from the famine. To survive people had to do all sorts, eat earth and poisons, steal, kill and claims of eating human flesh. Because of how huge the famine was, the capitalism would have been a huge scale too, but nothing that had been seen in the 20th century. The Great Chinese Famine was caused by a mix of radical agricultural policies, social pressure, economic mismanagement, and natural, natural disasters such as drought and floods. The Chinese Communist Party changed the farming policy drastically during what was called the Great Leap Forward. Other changes prohibited private farm ownership. In the Great Leap Forward, farming was organized into people's communes, which was the highest of three administrative levels in rural areas of the People's Republic of China from 1958 until 1983 and the cultivation of privately owned plots were not allowed. Regional party leaders had quotas for production under this control. What they produced was taken by the state and distributed at its whim. The degree to which people's communes worsened the famine is very controversial. 
Every region dealt with the famine differently. Along with collectivization, which is when multiple farmers run their holding as one enterprise, the central government decreed many changes in agricultural techniques. One of the changes was close planting, having the density of seedings tripled and then doubled. The idea was plants of the same species wouldn't compete with each other, but they did compete, which stunted growth and had lower yields. Another change was deep ploughing. This encouraged peasants across China to not plough the normal depths of 20 centimetres, but to go deeper to 66 centimetres. The theory was the most fertile soil was deep, deep down in the earth, and ploughing at such depths would give extra strong root growth. While deep ploughing can increase production, it's believed to have hindered the yields in China. A four-pest campaign came about which called for citizens to destroy pests like mosquitoes, rats, flies and sparrows. But a knock-on effect began. Sparrows ate crop-eating insects. No sparrows, no predator for the insects. And so they devoured the crops. Starting in 1957, the Chinese Communist Party reported excessive production of grain due to pressure from higher-ups. But the production was actually decreasing and would continue to go down until 1961. There resulted in an illusion of a superabundance, with the party actually believing there was excess grain. For example, Beijing in 1960 had granaries at 15 billion when the truth was it was only 13 billion. The effects of the illusion was huge, with some arguing it was a major cause of starvation all over China. Iron and steel, the production of these, would be seen as key for economic advancement, and to produce more, you needed more manpower. So millions of peasants were ordered from the farms to join the workforce of iron and steel, but the iron they made was too weak to be used commercially. Other policies would come into play and the three red banners of the Chinese Communist Party would spark the fanaticism of 1958. Local governments had just as much of it, if not more influence, on the famine than higher governments. As the great leap forward went on, many professional leaders began to align themselves with Mao and other party leaders. Local leaders had a choice to do what was best for their community or guard their reputation politically. Landlords would denounce any opposition of as conservative rightism, covering anything anti-communist. Conspiracy theories were common, having peasants accused of taking extra grain to feed their family or accused of not working hard enough, both fell under conservative rightism. Peasants couldn't speak openly with a culture of fear and recrimination at both local and official levels. Speaking out or acting against the famine was a big no-no and an impossible task. Influence of local government in the famine can be seen comparing the provinces of Anhu and Jiangxi. In Anhu, it was radical pro-Mao government led by Zhang Si Hang, who had ties to Mao. Zhang 
believed in the Great Leap Forward and wanted to be known in the higher circles than care to be maintained local ties. Zhang proposed agricultural pro- projects without consultation causing Anhu's agriculture to fail massively. Zhang Kaifan, party secretary, heard rumours of famine in Anhu and he wasn't a fan of Zhang's policy. Finding this out, Zhang reported Zhang to Mao. From this, Mao labelled Zhang a member of the Pangdaihai anti-party military clique, and Zhang was purged from the party. With his beliefs and not wanting to be a hypocrite, Zhang couldn't report on the famine when it became an emergency. Over in Jianji, completely different story. Leaders there publicly opposed some of the Great Leap programs and even took a passive attitude to the Maoist economy. They worked among themselves in the party and with locals. They didn't implement the Great Leap Forward fully and so minimized the, the, the damage done. In 1958, the Yellow River flooded, affecting Hian and Shandong provinces. It was said to be the most severe flood of the river since 1933. The river flood affected over 740,000 people in 1,700 villages, hitting over half a million acres of cultivated fields. The floods would eventually be directed into the Boai Sea on July 27th, with the government declaring victory after sending a rescue team of over 2 million people. But the government would only report on success and hide failures. The two million in the rescue team were actually farm labourers from two provinces. They were ordered away from their fields to be part of the rescue team, repairing the banks of the river instead of tending to their fields. Because of this, crops were neglected and nearly all harvest was left to rot in the fields. Historian Frank Dictator would would remark the floods weren't part of unusual weather, but more down to poorly planned and poorly executed irrigation works, which were part of the Great Leap Forward. At this time, Mao Zedong encouraged the people to build dams, a lot of dams, and thousands of kilometers of new irrigation canals to try move water from wet areas two areas going through drought. Some works made positive contributions to irrigation like the Red Fly Canal. But researchers, they found that the massive hydraulic construction project led to deaths from starvation, epidemics, draining and the famine. According to economist Daniel Hauser, 69% of the famine was due to the government policy and the other 31% was down to natural disaster. So, the aftermath. Local leaders conspired to cover up shortfalls and pointed blame at others to protect themselves and their positions. Mao wasn't told about the starvation, birth rates dropping and deaths increasing from 1958 until 1959. In 1960, as a gesture of solidarity, Mao had no meat for seven months, and First Prime Minister Yin La cut out his monthly grain consumption. 
1958, Mao went to Henna province and observed what local officials claimed was an increased crop yield of 1,000 to 3,000%, achieved supposedly in, in a huge 24-hour push organized by officials, which they called, quote, Sputnik launches, end quote. The number were all fake, and so were the fields. Mao observed, which he had, uh, Mao observed, which had been carefully set up before Mao arrived. Local officials would remove shoots of grain from various fields and carefully transplant them into a prepared field just for Mao. Local officials became trapped by these sham operations to Mao and used the peasants to reach the, these unachievable goals from deep ploughing and close planting. This made things much worse as crop failed, leaving empty fields. No one dared challenge Mao's ideas, so the peasants went to extreme lengths to keep up appearances. Some peasants grew the seedlings in their bedding and coats, and once sprouted, they planted them into the fields. The bedding would have had the plants looking high and healthy. Doctors couldn't list starvation as a cause of death on the death certs. Propaganda pictures were common with images of children standing on wheat so dense it looked like it was supporting their weight. But reality, they were standing on benches in the fields, and the fields completely made up individual transplanted stalks. April and May 1961, Liu Shaqi was president of the People's Republic of China and he concluded, after 44 days of field research in villages of Hunan, that the famine cause was 30% natural disaster and 70% human error. January and February 1962, the 7,000 cadres conference happened in Beijing with 7,000 Communist Party officials attending. At the conference, Liu formally announced the findings. The Chinese Communist Party declared a great leap forward was over and he also criticized Mao's policies. Failure of the great leap forward and the famine forced Mao to withdraw from active decision making within the party and the central government, turning responsibilities to Liu and Deng Xiaoping. They carried out economic reforms, including allowing free markets and household responsibility for agriculture production. But disagreements grew between Mao and Liu and Gang. In 1963, Mao launched the Socialist Education Movement and in 66, Mao launched the Cultural Revolution. During this, Liu was accused of being a traitor and enemy, reporting on only 30% as natural disasters. Liu was then beaten and had his medicine for diabetes denied. He died in 1969. Dying was called a capitalist roader and purged twice. December 1978, Dying became the new parliament leader of China and launched the reforms and opening up program which changed the agriculture and industrial systems. Until the 80s, the Chinese government stood by the famine cause as a series of natural disasters by several planning errors, all of which they called three years of natural disasters. 
during the Bulan France Hang in June 1981, the Chinese Communist Party changed the name to Three Years of Difficulty and stated that the famine was down to mistakes of the Great Leap Forward and the anti-rightist campaign, as well as some natural disasters and the Sino-Soviet split. Researchers outside China argue the institutional and policy changes which accompanied the Great Leap Forward were key factors in the famine. Today, decades on, the Great Chinese Famine remains a taboo subject in China. Today, despite having 10% of arable land, China produces a quarter of the global grain output. The exact number of deaths remain truly unknown, but one thing is clear. Millions died because of unrealistic policies. And that, my friends, is the tale of the Great Chinese Famine. Like and subscribe on my YouTube and podcasts, and join me next time for the story of Idi Amin, Ugandan military officer and politician who served as the third president of Uganda from 1971 until 1979. He ruled as a military dictator and is said to be the most brutal despots in modern world history. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.